We're speaking with Alyssa Abdullah. She's the Deputy Chief Security Officer of MasterCard. It has been so long. Feel free to call me Dr. J. I still go by Dr. J. Dr. J, the last time we spoke, you were the Deputy CIO of the White House. That was under President Obama. So it's been it's been a few years. And I was, I think, early on in my career at that time um, with the White House. Um, but at that time, I was responsible for modernizing White House technology, Camp David and Air Force One. It was a, a lot to do to modernize the infrastructure. And I was there right there on the ground ready to do it. Now, a quick thank you to Productive, a SaaS management platform that unlocks the power hidden in your SaaS applications to bring you higher ROI, better team collaboration, and lower license costs. Let's catch up to today. You're the Deputy Chief Security Officer at MasterCard, and I think we all know what MasterCard does, but tell us about your role. I share, you know, kind of tag team with our Chief Security Officer, Ron Green. Um, I am his deputy, and so what I am focused on is really emerging, the emerging side, I'm really looking at what do we want to do to fight the adversary of the future? Um, and I think the adversary is going to show itself in a lot of different ways. We all are already looking at cloud, but I think, you know, the new side of the future is and not really new, but how are we attacking identities? When you have identities, and uh, you know, as part of the metadata, um, and I'm not going to get too granular into this, but when you have identity uh, attached with metadata, it creates, you know, a lot of intelligence, a lot of intelligent data. And so I'm really looking at identities and how can we make our identities easier? How can we go passwordless? How, how can we implement zero trust? You know, all of those themes are things that we want to do and how do we do them in the right way so that we are being very, very proactive. It's interesting that you talk about the adversary of the future as opposed to stopping security threats today. So maybe make that distinction for us. Just like you have a technology innovation, forward-looking component of your company, you have to have the same thing within security. So our adversary today, we know what they're looking for. We, you know, we have an idea. We know the spear phishing uh, scams and, and, and emails. We know what we are, what we want to look for. We know the level of sophistication. But the adversary of the future is going to infuse more AI. The adversary of the future is going to infuse a lot of different things that we may not be tracking right now from an everyday perspective. And so while we have teams right there on the ground looking at what's going on now, preventing, protecting, detecting kind of what's going on now, there's got to be a team that looks like, looks at what's happening in the future. How does the adversary of the future, what is that person going to look like? Or what is that you know, group going to look like? Are they going to use quantum computing? Are they going to use user behavior analytics that, you know, as we do? Are they going to use our user behavior, behavior analytics and our data lakes that we created? So that's a core part of your focus, looking to the very broadest range of security threats going forward, essentially. Yeah. Yes. And, and how do we put ourselves and, and create an infrastructure and platforms that will be Agile, I hate using that word agile because it's so overly used at this point. Um, but it, it really describes what I'm saying. It really describes the fluidity that I want in a infrastructure or in some type of architecture so that as things happen, we can pivot. So here's, here's we're right now in a great example of that. And the great example is COVID. Were your, 
networks agile enough, had you, you know, infused enough resiliency so that when something happened, you were able to pivot and pivot quickly. Um, and so if you were thinking of the future and thinking in terms of resiliency, you know, we would all be in better positions and or, you know, would be prepared, which a lot of companies and a lot of organizations and definitely MasterCard was. Um, and so it kind of gives you some perspective of when I say the adversary of the future may not necessarily be the adversary. It may be the catastrophe of the future. It may be, you know, comes in in a lot of different ways. What are the kind of skill sets? Because it sounds like this is broader than the narrow definition of security or cybersecurity that that we think of. So what are the skill sets that come into play here? We need skill sets from all around. We have right now, and I, I, I think I'm tracking the right number, um, in 2020, 507,000 unfulfilled, unfilled U.S. cybersecurity positions. 507,000, that is a lot. And that's just in the U.S. The, of course, the global numbers are much, much more. And so I'm that leader that says, you know, really to fight the adversary, you need a creative mind, just like you need a technical mind, just like you need a scientific mind, because all of those things give you a different perspective. The adversary does not necessarily have a degree in cybersecurity. Okay, let's just all be honest and be real about that. The adversary, uh, you know, comes up in different shapes and forms and has a lot of creativity in how they are attacking us. There's a lot of synergy around um, a lot of the different tools and platforms and things that we are thinking and the type of brain power that you need. And so I really encourage creative minds and technology folks and scientific folks. If you have a passion for figuring things out and undoing things, we figure things out and undo things in a lot of different ways, but we need all of those different ways included in our organizations. The challenges that you face in your role, thinking about these, these various present and future actors and what they're going to do, and, and maybe they're kids, and maybe they have security, I'm sorry, maybe they have engineering degrees, or maybe they don't. How, mm -hmm. do, you, how do you start to approach all of this? I don't think my past is any different from my present, is any different from my future. Um, in terms of what I've seen, um, and, and I think that's the connective tissue that I bring and that I've kind of talked to organizations about. The things that I saw happening on the networks at the White House are the same things that I've seen happening on the networks of Fortune 500 companies. The threats may look a little different. The tools may look so slightly different. But really, the methods and um, the thought processes that the adversary is using are all the same. And that's why a lot of times I say, you know, we need to have strong partnerships in, in um, entertainment, you know, with, I I'm with, was really good friends with the CISO at Sony. You know, I was really good friends with, you know, the CISO at Stryker. I'm really good friends with CISO, you know, with CISOs everywhere. As I think of all of us in this bigger community, as big as the world is, is as small as it is, and we have to have all of these partnerships. Um, and so you find the synergies and the pockets of really what's going on and realize the similarities and the things that you've seen before. You know, true cybersecurity 
kind of experts know what to look for. And it's really, sometimes it is a needle in the haystack, but you have to keep hunting and you have to keep looking and you have to keep looking for, as I like to say, kind of the moonwalking bear. You've got to look for the thing that everyone else is not looking for because the thing that everyone is looking for is not the, th is the thing that the adversary might've put there to distract you from what you really need to be looking at. So it's this kind of cat and mouse chess game of intellects between you and the adversary. It is, but my goal, you know, you never say that it's 100%. You never say, oh, this place is going to be 100% secure and I guarantee there's not going to be a breach. My goal is always to make it so difficult. If you think about it and, you know, time is money. We use that, that, that uh, uh, phrase all the time, time is money. If I make it take so much time, it's not worth the money. He moves on to a competitor or someone else then I'm good to go. We should all be kind of thinking of how much can we put, what are the defenses we can put in place so it just takes so much time and so much effort. You know what? Forget it. I'll move on to someone else. What would you say are the largest challenges in this very kind of diverse set of problems that you're facing? The technology tends to not be the biggest challenge. We tend to be the biggest challenge. People tend to be the biggest challenge. And people tend to be the biggest challenge because we have big hearts. And the adversary knows how to pull on our heartstrings. You know, I remember, you know, years ago, and unfortunately, sometimes these spearfishing uh, attempts or, or now vishing attempts um, are still relevant. But I remember years ago, you know, the adversary would, would um, say, oh, you know, this is your best friend and you... I'm lost in Africa or I'm lost in some other country and please send, you know, millions of dollars. And it would pull on our heartstrings because that was the first time that we'd seen it, not because we actually believed or, you know, thought, thought it through enough, but the adversary knows how to pull on our heartstrings and our heartstrings, I think are our weakest link. Um, the technology, we, we have so many tools in place. We have so much um, that we have done, we as in MasterCard, we as in, you know, cybersecurity professionals and organizations, there's so many different defenses that we've put in place and depths of defense that we put in place. But, you know, inevitably, there's only, only takes one person to click on a spear phishing email, you know, something that tugs on your heartstrings. I, you know, if you probably have gotten these emails with angels flying and uh, please click on this link and it's some chain letter or whatever. And who, who knew back then that those were, you know, a type of spear phishing or spam emails, but that's how it, you know, kind of really all started. Very briefly for folks who don't know, what is spear phishing? So if you think of it in terms of the sport, spear phishing, you take a spear, you throw it. And I, let me say, I am not a, I'm not a spear fisher. I'm not an expert fisherman. So please do not tweet that I said something crazy about spear fishing, um, the sport. But, you know, the, the, in its basic, basic form, you take a spear, you throw it in the water, you, you hope, you know, hope and hope for the best and you get a fish and, and you, you've won your prize. You, you referred to it earlier as a cat and mouse game. But a lot of times it's really a Trojan horse game. The adversary is sitting and waiting and will wait to the right moment. So explain that, the Trojan horse game. So when you say cat and mouse, I think very active. You know, a cat is always, it's always reaching, reaching, reaching for the mouse. Um, when, you, when I say a Trojan horse game, they sit, 
they, you know, if you think of the original, the Greek mythology, the story of the, how the Trojan horse comes came in, um, the Trojan horse game is I'm going to come, I'm going to sit, and at the right moment that I prescribe is the mo- right moment, I'm going to show myself and do do mass destruction. And that's kind of what we're seeing now and how cybersecurity and, or the adversary has really evolved. The adversary comes into our networks, sits, waits, observes, learns, gathers, maybe doesn't do anything at all until, you know, they don't agree with something that you've done. And then all of a sudden, kaboom, your whole, you know, network is, is de- encrypted, you know, or something like that. But that is really the Trojan horse game. It sounds like a lot of this is psychological. There's this psychological dimension between you and the adversaries that you're facing. It is. I I think it is, which is why I go back to saying, you know, the technology is not the difficulty. The um, adversary knows how to pull on our heartstrings, how to psychologically convince us that this email really came from our CEO and we're we're all going to be part of this secret acquisition and please click on this email, you know, and, and transfer all this Bitcoin. We all have, we all have this urge to do the right thing and to do the right thing for our companies. And so that's why it's easy to say, oh, wow, you know, the CEO wants me to do this and he wants me to be a part of this. Let me find out more and it, let me investigate it a little bit more. Let me click. And that's the psychology around it. You know, it really comes to, us all wanting to have, or us foundationally having good intentions. It's interesting, Dr. J, that you say that the technology is really table stakes. It's just the, mm-hmm. the basics. And that kind of surprises me a little bit because we think about security as being very technology driven. You don't really hear me saying we have a technology shortage in cybersecurity. We have a personnel shortage in cybersecurity, which which is, you know, I keep saying, you know, I believe and I, and I think I speak for most, most of my CSO peers that we have budgets and we have constraints and, and goals and things like that. Um, we get what we need, you know, for the most part to get done. And, and I say for the most part because I'm speaking for all CISOs, you know, kind of in what in what we think. Um, and how we think. We get what we need to get done. A lot of times, a lot of just depending on your organization, you get more than what you need, um, or you get an abundance of what you need. And, and it depends on how you present that and you know, in that budget. But you never hear us saying, oh my goodness, we have a shortage in technology to fight cybercrime. No, we don't. We have a shortage in talent to 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 fight cybercrime. And there are a lot of initiatives that we have, you know, kind of put in place and and partnered with other companies. Um, to put in place to help to help with that. And so that's why it's really more of a personnel, psychological and talent issue and, and pretty much a marketing issue as well, because there's a lot of people who, who think it's, you know, really technology oriented when it really can be, you can use your creative mind. Um, but that's why we've kind of put all of these different initiatives in place to help us move forward with talent and grow our talent in different areas. We have a question from Arsalan Khan, and he says, security is important, highly important. Should companies be held criminally liable for data breaches when it's found that, for example, they didn't apply patches? So he's asking for the, where do you point responsibility 
when something happens? I don't think there's any company that does, that has the intent of doing wrong. You know, I, I don't think us as, as big companies or Fortune 500 companies or small and medium-sized businesses, everyone puts their first, every, everyone in the cybersecurity game puts their best foot forward. Um, I think we look at risk um, and we look at risk consumption and we look at risk tolerance in all different ways. And so there are so many different layers to that. It's hard to say, no, you should be criminally responsible. You can't make that type of blanket statement. I think you have to take risk into consideration and what the risk tolerance of each of the companies, you know, of each company is or, e or what each group or each organization is. Um, and there are always opportunities within the company and within the year to say, oh, it's time to throttle what our risk tolerance is. That's something that I think all companies went through through, you know, with the onset of COVID as everyone was working remotely. Now we have to take a look at our risk and what type of risk do we want to take now with everyone working remotely? Or is, is our tolerance greater? Is our tolerance, you know, you know lower? How, do we move our standard? Um, or do we, you know, now is the right time to bang, bang, bang on spear phishing and making sure people know you're going to be targeted even more, kind of things like that. Um, so I think you have to put the risk component in you can't just answer that question, yes or no, but it's not really black or white. You have to add the risk component in as well. But certainly different companies manage this better. Some companies seem to have a greater propensity for breaches and other types of security incidents than, than others. I think that's an easy perspective to have on the outside looking in. On the inside looking out, um, there are initiatives in play. I think what we, what I will say is, I think we, as technologists in general, tend to run towards the shiny object. We tend to want to implement the newest widget. And there has to be people in your organization that say, no, wait a minute. We've got foundational things that have to be done. We've got password resets. Unfortunately, there are organizations that still have passwords or you know, have not moved to a passwordless environment. We're doing a lot of different things. We're set up a lot of different ways. You still have to, if you have passwords in your environment, you have to, you know, renew, reset your passwords and have a, you know, a good strong password policy. You have to turn off ports that aren't being utilized. You know, you have to use robust authentication and think about how you verify that an, import, uh, an employee is where they, where they are and who they are and doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, there is a lot of checks and balances that have to be done internally so you can't lose sight of the basics while you're trying to, you know, kind of catch what's the newest AI thing that's happening. What's the newest shiny widget? Um, so I, I just, you know, I feel strongly that um, it's not a issue of, you know, you're, you're responsible. You should be held responsible. You know, cybersecurity is not, I'm not going to make it sound like it's easy. It's not. It's hard. It's harder in some places than it is in other places. It's harder at some companies than it is at other companies. It's harder based on, you know, if you're regulated, you know, depending on if you're not regulated. It's, it's a lot of, it's so many different layers that you can't shoot the spear and say, everyone should be doing blah, 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 and it should be just this way. It, there's just so many different components. So the table stakes aspect of the technology, or could we say the operational excellence aspect of security is having your, your firewall in place, the right ports. I mean, there's a whole litany Absolutely. of things. If you, 
if you look at the past breaches in the past six, seven months, or maybe three years, what was missing, and I'm, you know, I'm not, not going to dig deep into this, but a lot of times we miss the basics. A lot of times we miss you know, just basic things that that need to be done, and you know, make make sure that you have a, the bow tie very tightly before you move on to the next thing. The, a lot of times, these things are iterative too. You know, we have to constantly look at how are we handling passwords, how are we handling vulnerabilities. You know, what, you know, are you closing all of your critical, high, medium, you know, vulnerabilities, and what do you do? You have a plan for the low vulnerabilities. Those are things that you have, that's an iterative process that can't be dropped. And so you have to have, I talked to, the, about you, talked to you about this in the very beginning. I look at the future and what, what the adversary is going to be doing for the future. But there's a large part of our organization that looks at what we're doing right now and make sure there's no, there's no hole in our iterative processes that have to be you know, continuously done and put in place. I love when we get questions from Twitter and we can have this dialogue. The questions that come from Twitter tend to be great. So Arsalan follows up and he says, where is the security boundary of an organization since a breach at the ISP can affect you? Vendors who use your internet can compromise you. And nowadays with employees working at home, you have, uh, you know, we've heard the, the phrase a thousand points of light. Well, now we have a thousand endpoints that are insecure. That's right. This is an end-to-end conversation. And when I say end-to-end, there is no end. The end starts inside of the organization. The other end keeps going and going and going. At one point, we thought we'd, go, we thought we'd have this nice little cute little network perimeter and we can control everything and keep everything inside. That is gone. Those days are gone. They are, and, and, and Arsalan is right. In the cloud, they are with the ISP, they are on home networks. So really it is not a, a you know, I keep saying this, it is not an endpoint. Let's find the endpoint and secure the endpoint. It really should be a data security strategy. Let's secure the data. Let's figure out how to, you know, put the right wrappers around the data. And, you know, I think I mentioned this earlier, make it less intelligible. You you got identities attached with data and you know it's moving all through the network. You've got intelligent pieces put together. Once you start stripping away those different pieces of the net, of the metadata um, from the data, then now you have unintelligible and it's encrypted. Now you have an un- unintelligible glob of googly goop. <laughs> That's a technical term, I assume. <laughs> technical term, I coined it googly goop. <laughs> You've got your firewalls configured properly. You have the operational aspects managed. Why is this now a primarily a human problem and a cultural set of issues? And how do we deal with that? A couple of different things. There's two sides. There's the human problem. And, and I'm talking human in terms of talent. We don't have enough talent. And then the culture problem, the talent that we have, we all need to make sure that we have a cyber aware culture. There's certain things that we do. And we've gone a step further when we talk about a cyber aware -aware culture, you know, aside from, you know, spear phishing email campaigns that we do that I love, um, the escape room, we have an escape room, but this was pre-COVID. We had a escape room set up where you, you know, you lock people into a room. They have to solve the puzzles. They're racing, you know, a, a race of the clock of how you get out of the room. 
Um, but it was based on phishing and kind of some cybersecurity um, terms and thoughts that we think our culture should be taking into consideration. Um, so that's that's just like the human culture side. But on the you know on the talent side, I mentioned earlier we have five hundred and seven thousand unfilled U.S. positions. Um, we have the Cyber Talent Initiative, which I think is amazing. We just kicked off the first cohort. We have nine cybersecurity um, um, leaders, um, uh, graduates from, from, from various colleges. And what happens is they are spending two years at a government uh, organization. Um, and we have a lot of partnerships with this. This is CIA, this is FBI, this is DOD, this is Department of Energy, Department of Homeland Security. So they spend two years, and I know I'm leaving out a, a whole host of other um, federal organizations too, but I don't want don't want to, but the list is long. Um, but they spend two years at those government agencies. Then they're invited to participate and work with the initiatives partners, which are Microsoft, MasterCard, and Workday, great companies to be at. And we're inviting other companies to join us in, in that initiative as well. And after they do those two things, after they're invited to work for those companies, $75,000 of their student loans are paid off. I wish, <laughs> I wish something was like that when I, when I um, was, was kind of young and in my youth and looking for how I was going to pay off my student loans and things like that. $75,000 of student loans being paid off, two years in government. So you're bringing in government service. You're, you're now you're bringing in your, your you know, private sector service. You have a resume built for, you know, for success and, seven, and, and less debt. You know, so with, there are things that other companies, just like we are doing to make sure that we have the talent side in place. So it's two sides. There's the talent side and there's the culture side. So you've got partnerships and you think about talent in terms of an ecosystem. Absolutely. We re-emerge as different beings, you know, or we, we will resharpen our pencil and, and go through each of these different organizations, right? You know, we have careers. We have, there are plenty of people who have longstanding careers at a company. And there are plenty of people where, you know, you grab from one company, there's someone moves to another company, but we all kind of, you know, move, kind of move around. That's just how technology is. Um, but we believe the richness of it is in those experience experiences. We're, we are helping people to expand their depth and breadth. I think by giving them government experience, and I, I listed some, some very, very good and very hefty um, organizations, along with a, lot, a long list of others, um, as well as our partnerships, our, our initiative partnerships, um, I think just sets you up for success in whatever you want to do and however you want to, you know, however you want to play this moving forward. Um, and, and let me just go ahead and do a quick plug. Anyone who's interested, whether it's a government agency, whether it's a corporate partner, or whether it is someone else who wants to be a part of the next cohort, go to cybertalentinitiative.org. I think we're taking applications now and our next cohort is, uh, the ap applications are due November the 13th, so... So the other part of the human equation, as mm -hmm. you were talking, is developing, I think you said a cybersecurity culture. A cyber, a 
Square Culture. Let me just go a step further because I'm now, you know, I'm on your podcast. I'm going to plug my podcast. I have a <laughs> podcast called Mastering Cyber, and it's 60 seconds of cybersecurity, 60 seconds of cybersecurity tips, terms, and topics. Um, and it's really easy stuff like, you know, the, the best way to not get scammed at a gas station is to use a contactless payment. Yeah, I, I tell you what to do in 60 seconds and you're done. You moved on to the, you moved on to now Michael CXO talking, can listen to his podcast <laughs> and listen to what's going on there. But when I talk about cyber aware culture, there are things that we have to do in our businesses, but they're just basic foundational things that we as a culture, as people now, just as we know to lock our front door, just as we set our alarms when we're leaving the house, there are things that we should be doing at home you know, to help protect ourselves. Because in, in actuality, as we help protect ourselves, we think about it in our co- in our companies, whether we're in a cybersecurity job or not. If we're in finance, if we're in human resources, it'll be top of mind. How do we create this cyber-aware culture and mindset? We have monthly spear phishing emails and, and everyone can throttle. I've been in organizations where it's done quarterly. We do it every month because, you know, that message comes from the top down. We have to have a cyber aware culture and our spear phishing campaigns have become very, very unique and they have become competitions across the company where um, different leads of different parts of the organization, you know, kind of brag, hey, I didn't have, you know, as many that clicked, you know, or my click rate is better than yours or my report rate that I've reported you know, a spear phishing email is better than yours. We've added a gaming and competitive aspect to it, which makes it, which generates the camaraderie within the organization, but actually increases the learning and engagement, right? Um, I think when you take it, take it away and strip it away and say, hey, here's your, your annual cybersecurity training, you know, that kind of waters down that in some ways it can water down the message and just become, let me click, click, click to the end of the end of the training. Um, when you infuse engagement, when you infuse that camaraderie and that discussion and have it as a regular discussion in all hands meetings and pot, you know, and in different um, um, casts that, you know, whether it's a podcast or whether it is a webcast or, you know, those and have it as topic of conversation. Now you're infusing a security aware culture. You know, another thing that I know companies are doing um, is having security champions implanted within the organization. Another great way of um, having a security aware culture. Um, when you have these security champions planted within the organization, now everyone is not waiting to come to security, right? You should not be waiting to come to security. Security should be right there in the midst, on the ground, with the knowledge and the expertise in your dev organizations, ready to help you make decisions so that you are um, really developing security at the speed of innovation. I think that's kind of the message that we always put. Let's develop security at the speed of innovation. Let's do security by design and security by default. Let's infuse that in the organization. There's other ways that you really have now you know, just some ideas to, to throw out there to have a cyber aware culture. And does it work? Do oh, these efforts pay pay dividends? Oh, absolutely. 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 We've been doing these type of things at MasterCard for a while. We just kicked off our security champions program, which is the infusion across the dev organizations. It absolutely works because you know what? 
here I go back again to the talent, to the talent shortage. And now I'm getting, I'm expecting, you know, a lot of other technology experts to really learn. If you're going to learn development, you should learn development securely. You should learn to secure by design and secure by default. And that now takes a lot of the burden away from the corporate security organization and infuses it right there, you know, right there at infantry, right, right? The infantry, the command, those who are on the front lines, though, you know, it, it infuses it right there to those who are really doing the, the touching of the computer, the nuts and bolts of all the development. We have uh, another question from Twitter, another interesting one. This is from at CXO Talk and uh, Elizabeth Shaw, it's a great question. And she says, earlier you mentioned resilience. What do you mean by resilience and what kind of resilience are you looking to achieve? I'm gonna take it from the perspective of our bodies. Our bodies are, are very resilient. We fall down, we, we bleed a little bit, a scab will form and you heal. Um, and so when I'm looking at resilience, what have you put in place to either make your organization resilient to things that are going to happen, make your architecture and infrastructure resilient to things that, to any type of penetration, not that penetration is not gonna happen. Penetration is going to happen, but your organization is resilient to it or your infrastructure is resilient to it and can push it out. You know, we get these immunizations, right? When we're infants and, you know, or, you know, the flu, flu season is coming up. Everyone's going to get the flu vaccine. And we're hoping that if that it infuses the antibody bodies into our systems, into our bodies, so that if we get attacked by the flu, it will push out and we won't get sick. I look at resilience in the same way. If we are, you know, we put all of these controls in place, we have done the right things in terms of risk. We know mm, if it gets, you know, when I say in terms of risk, we know if it gets cold outside and we don't put a coat on, we may get sick. Okay. In our networks, we know that there's a certain amount of risk that we want to take and a certain amount that we don't. We've done enough to put the controls in place so that if something were to happen, we've got the antibodies already included in our networks that will push everything out, that will not allow you know, the adversary to penetrate or, or you know, and I, I don't want to speak of the adversary as if it's some spooky Halloween, you know, thing. Um, it, it, it can be even, I will just say, it can even be someone from the inside who mistakenly clicks on something or, oh my goodness, I didn't know I had access to this file, right? We put the right security controls in place so that we're re resilient against things happening, whether they're on purpose or whether they're by mistake. Are these controls technology-based? Are they human-based? Give us a concrete sense of it. Yes, yes. These controls that I'm talking about would be technology controls. But of course, on the human base, that's the cybersecurity aware culture. That's, you know, that's the human side of it. But you have technology controls in place. You have access management rules in place where, you know, hey, if I have a, a folder that popped up on my desktop, well, maybe I wasn't supposed to have access to that folder. If I double click it, oh, I didn't have access, it, even though it showed up. Those are kind of those technical hard things that we have to make sure we put in place. And I say hard things to put in place only because as the network grows and grows and grows and as your capabilities grow and grow and grow, you have to put your arms around the entire thing. That's the challenge of cybersecurity. You have to put your arms around the entire thing. 
Another question from Twitter. Very, very quickly, where do you see the links between security architecture and enterprise architecture? I think it links like this. It's got to be one hand clasping the other, not one hand washing the other, not one hand holding the other. It's one hand clasping the other. Um, we are deeply embedded within our enterprise architecture because there is nothing that can be done from an enterprise architecture perspective that you can't, that you say at the last minute, okay, now that we have the enterprise architecture in place, let's include security. No, it just doesn't work like that. You have to, and, and unless you want to redo your enterprise architecture. <laughs> The path of least resistance is to be included, is to you know have this inclusive environment where we're all in there thinking together, design thinking together. You have your enterprise architect, architects thinking from a, a enterprise perspective. You have your IT architects thinking from one perspective. And then you have your cybersecurity architectures, ar architects adding the security by design, security by default. You have all of that infused together. As we finish up, can you give us two, three pieces of security advice based on your very broad experience. I keep saying the technology is not the hard part. It isn't. Um, the people are the hard part. So number one, let's make sure we all have a cyber aware culture. Let's make sure, you know, we're and when I say a cyber aware culture, we're feeding them the right things. We can overdo it. We can overdo it, people. And no one is listening. You give, based on your organization and your, and your culture, you give them the right amount of information, the at the right pace, and they will suck it in and consume it and be and help your organization be resilient. Then from the technology side, we can't forget the basics. We can't forget the basic things that have to get done. We can't forget the compliance checks that have to be done while we're trying to innovate because then it undoes, it, it, it just really unravels innovation when your basic things are not done. So I think they're just really two big things. There's the innovation, I mean, there's the, uh, the technology piece and um, the, the talent uh, piece or you know, your, your organization people perspective that you have to put in place. Any advice for individuals to not get caught in a spear phishing campaign? Sure, don't click. Don't call, don't, don't, you know, I don't even answer my phone. If you want to reach me and call me, call and leave a voicemail and I will call you back. <laughs> I will decide whether I'm going to call you back. I don't answer un un unknown numbers. And just like I don't respond to un unknown emails and you have to really, you have, you can't take things at face value. You got to look at the email. Did Michael Kriegsman actually send me this email or does it look like it came from him? Was this his email address? And you know what? If I'm still not sure, guess what? I can call you, Mike. I can call you and say, you know, hey, did you send me that email? We've lost that. We've lost the aspect of I can actually pick up the phone and call my friend and say, hey, did you actually send this to me? We can't lose that aspect. It is pretty extraordinary these days how authentic some of these fake emails get. Oh, they're absolutely authentic. Which makes them and, and and which makes them more sophisticated, right? They're easy easy to fool us. Um, we see emails at the beginning of the year that say, "Hey, it's time to renew your your uh, laptop. It's time to refresh your laptop. Send send me your laptop and gives the address." I see emails that say, "Hey, it's time for benefits enrollment." Um, click on this email and put in your name and social security number to renew your benefits. They know the business rhythms of your company. They yeah. know the things that you know and love. They know the things that you want to buy off the internet. Yeah. 
So these spear phishing emails come in from a lot of different levels of sophistication. I'll just tell you very quickly one uh, that I received, actually a letter. So we have a copyright, I'm sorry, a trademark for CXO Talk. And you need to renew it, I think, between the fifth and sixth year. And I received a letter that looked authentic in 100% complete, Mm -hmm. except it was a year early Mm -hmm. and the address was different. Right. And the only way that I knew, and who knows, like five years later, after you've registered a trademark, who knows? Mm -hmm. You know, you don't remember uh, when the exact date was. And the only way that I knew is I just had a funny feeling about it. So I went to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and looked it up and I discovered this. But I mean, I was astounded. Yeah. And you know what? It really causes us to be more protective of our data or really know, you know what I mean? Like before, I would say years ago. I would, I didn't have notifications on my bank account. I was like, you know, I'll check my bank account. I will budget. I'll, you know, look in every now and then when I get the receipt from the ATM and it says, this is how much I have. Ah, That's pretty much it. But now I have notifications turned on. I know where every single penny comes out. My husband will make a withdrawal. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, type of thing. I know every single thing that comes out because now we have to be responsible for our data, we have to be responsible for what we have and what we know. And and just like you, you knew, wait a minute, something sounds off about this date. Let me look into this. You gotta know, you gotta be more aware now. All right, well, Dr. J, thank you for spending so much time with us today and sharing your, your knowledge with us. Absolutely, it's been fun, it's been so much fun catching up with you. Everybody, we have been speaking with Dr. J. She is the Deputy Chief Security Officer of MasterCard. Before you go, please, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the subscribe button at the top of our website. We look forward to seeing you again next time. We have great shows coming up. Next week, we're speaking with the Chief Operating Officer of Dropbox. Take care, everybody. See you then.